I don't, none of us want to be in an environment where we constantly have to stand up for what makes us great. We want to be in environments that can recognize great things about who we are. Hey, and welcome to Be Human Podcast, a podcast with two hosts, Kevin and Bree, who discuss topics around mental health, mindfulness, rewiring the brain, the struggles of being human, and so much more. We hope you enjoy what you hear, and don't forget to leave a review, rate, and subscribe. All right, well, Be Human listeners, it's great to have you on, and we have a very, very special guest today. Her name is Kim Seabrook. I was fortunate enough to have Kim as my manager at the company I'm currently working with um, for a short time. But in that short time, we developed a great bond and she left a huge uh, mark on me personally, but also the organization. And Kim, she is one of the most infectious personalities. She oozes positivity and joy and has this innate ability (laughs) to bring people up to her level. I think that's what makes her such an incredible manager. She just levels people up. Uh, And for context, we had a going away Zoom party for Kim. It was kind of like a surprise Zoom party. People were like breaking down, bawling their eyes out. They were so sad to see her go. It's like being at a funeral. I was like, what is going on? I I love you, Kim. I didn't cry. I didn't cry. I I cried a little bit later. Maybe I shed a tear. But it was was incredible. It was incredible for me to see how somebody can have such a huge impact and leave such an impression. And it definitely inspired me as that's so, somebody I would like to model and, and a stage I would get into in life. But I think I would hope for listeners um, to learn from Kim that you don't have to be the sort of you know model employee or citizen to be incredibly successful. And, and you're so much more likely to be happy and be successful by just being yourself. And I think that's a, that's a, a huge uh, thing Kim brings to the table. So my first question, I suppose, to Kim is, how did you go about cultivating a winning mindset? Well, first of all, I want to say thanks for having me. And I really, yes. I feel the love. That feels uh, really good. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, at the risk of sounding like a kindergartner, I want to say it takes one to know one. Um, this is a two-way street. Uh, both you and Bree are, are exceptional humans. Um, and I think we all see that in each other. So that's, that's why we've got a major love fest going on here. <laughs> <laughs> Your first question to me is how did I, um, how did I cultivate a winning mindset? I'll give you a little background first. Uh, what there's a, there's a part of me that people, that most people don't know. So when people, um, meet me like they did at, at, you know, where you and I work together. They're like, man, just, you know, I don't know what they say about me, but let's just assume they say things like, like, she's so successful or, you know, how did she get there? And um, she must be special. And I, you know, uh, I appreciate all that, but I think it's a, it, it overemphasizes it overemphasizes some kind of internal greatness already. It's definitely a journey. It takes a long time to get there. And I'll give you a little bit of background about my journey. I grew up on the East Coast and in a very chaotic and abusive environment. So uh, I had a, a mentally ill parent and uh, an absent parent. Why that was important is that was both the trauma and the gift of my life. The difficult, the 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 trauma piece of it is that I had no role model for healthy relationships, engagement, and 
being yourself in the world. I really didn't. I I had to go find those role models for myself. I had to build the framework for how to look at life uh, without the help of a of my um, you know my youth, my parents mm-hmm. essentially. And again, I I I think it is also a gift because in having to go find it, I got to choose it. I got to say, okay, what do I choose? You, you know, you know this, Kevin, because you're you and I have both been to Tony Robbins multiple times. We love, we love, yep. we love us and Tony. Love T Rob. Yeah. We love T Rob. Uh, and you know, he he teaches the um the ideas of the power of focus and deciding what is important to you and and mindset. So you you talked about a winning mindset. I was really lucky in my early 20s, a friend of mine who is just uh, so far ahead of me on her journey, talked me into going to a Tony Robbins seminar. And I understood coming out of that what the winning mindset is. So an example of a winning mindset is if you see something in front of you that's an obstacle, you know, a tall wall, something you have to get over, a winning mindset says, that's my challenge. That's what we've got to get over. Like, Mm -hmm. think of it like a game. Uh, you know, you're in an adventure race and you see a, a great wall in front of you and you're like, all right, friends, how are we going to get over this wall? This mm-hmm. is the, this is the task in front of us. It's exciting. Um, if you see it as an obstacle, the victimization mindset, you might be like, that wall's so tall. I'll never get over it. Why is it in front of me? You know, so um, just that little piece of saying, of being able to look at your life and say, these challenges are my fun challenges to, or my um, my big, my big, uh, I don't know another word, my big challenges to get over versus these are the things that will justify my lack of progress in life, that they are my obstacle. So I think that's what a winning mindset is, Kevin. And I learned that in my early twenties, I got to build that. I didn't get it. in as a kid, so maybe I was sort of an open book. Uh, thank God, you know, Tony came wrong and not some cult leader who wanted me to do <laughs> and I've you know um that stuck with me my whole life it's been a theme for me is you have to keep resetting what you're focusing on in order to get the outcome that you're looking for and I think that's where I originally got it so you're saying Kim you cultivate a winning mindset by resetting what you're focused on Over and over and over and over and over again. So in my 20s, Brie, um, my obstacles looked very different than they do now. Um, Mm. And if I continue, and that's uh, that's the growth mindset uh, part of winning mindset. Like you can't, you have to change each year. You have to acknowledge you are growing in a new stage of your development and there are new obstacles. They raise the bar. They might get bigger and bigger. Some of them get shorter. Um, you know, someone gets shorter, but the, you know, I've cultivated uh, a goal oriented yearly strategy for myself where I'm like, okay, where am I on my journey and how do I get to the next level? So like in my twenties, I was, I was thinking of goals as I want to be the number one salesperson and I want to connect to people in a way that is meaningful. And now my goals are, I want to build environments where diversity thrives. So that's like the word diversity didn't even occur to me in my 20s. So now like I'm, uh, I'm evolving. So I think it's a, a winning mindset, but it has to evolve every year. And Kim, you know, when I spoke to you last, I think it was something that was on your mind about the burden 
that people carry when they are othered? And how do you bring yourself to the table when you're constantly having to reset because you are coming into a room as the other? And I think you bring a special understanding of that as a white woman who isn't married, doesn't have children. Uh, And so maybe you can speak to how do you manage being othered and some of those trade-offs, both good and bad that you experience uh, as the other. Well, that's a big question, Brie. Maybe I'll give a little context because uh, so many of us have an experience of other and it is, it can be both a universal experience and a very unique experience. Um, uh, your other may be queer and black. My other is woman in a male dominated environment. My friend Ricky's experience of other is being Asian in a very Caucasian uh, environment um, and poor in a rich environment. Like there are like, there's so many versions of other uh, that maybe I'll just set the context for what my version is. So for those of you who can't figure it out, I am, I identify as she, her, I am a woman and I um, am in a very male dominated environment. So that is my primary experience of being other. Now we could say the world is a male dominated environment. Okay. (laughs) But maybe I'll just keep it small so that we can think about uh, something more personal. Um, I'm in sales. I'm in sales and sales leadership have been my whole life. Most of the teams, almost all of the teams that I've ever worked on or with were run by men and dominated by men, Caucasian men. Um, When I, for example, uh, what became a VP at Salesforce, um, it was in my group, there were 75 VPs in my segment of commercial sales. I was the only woman. You know, part of me for a moment, like for a second, I was like, oh, I'm special. And then I was like, there's so many things wrong with this. Right. That's good. Yes. So yes. I recognize I was, and so, and that's really important for me to remember because there are people who, once they make it, they feel special and they close the door behind them. And I don't, none of us want to be in an environment where we constantly have to stand up for what makes us great. We want to be in environments that can recognize great things about who we are. Like, and, and, and you brought this up in the beginning, Kevin, you were talking about being yourself, uh, likely to be happy, just being yourself in an environment. Um, that's a piece of it. So here I am in a group of 75. And what that means is I am automatically other. Now I can do my job extremely well. I, my teams can be successful. I can meet my goals. I can serve the company in all the ways that they wish me to. I still come to every day with the burden of being other. The question mark in my brain, if I do it differently, will I be judged? The answer is yes. Um, In an environment like that, Um, can I use things that are uniquely me that are completely different than what everybody else is using? That's That's a terrifying question to say yes to. Here's an example. In that environment, people that I had worked for, I only ever worked for men. Um, men that I had worked for had said, like, you got to keep your you got to keep your team on your t- on their toes. Right. A little bit of fear is great for everyone um, in sales. There's this idea of carrot and stick stick being the thing you beat people with. Like, let's be clear what people mean when they say stick. But we just throw this around all the time in sales, a carrot and a stick. Um, and that's not how I wanted to lead. I wanted yeah. to lead by truly motivating people by helping them to become their best selves, by uncovering what motivated them 
in their hearts and minds to do their jobs and do their best jobs, to make sure that they were aligned uh, to what we were trying to do so that they could be, they could thrive in that environment. These were not, these were other mindsets. And so I went uh, underground with those mindsets. So I would, my way of coping was I would assimilate at the surface level, right? I would use the terms and the prevailing culture uh, in general of the, of this environment that I was in to make sure that I could fit in. Mm -hmm. But then I would try, I would do the things that made me, me experiment with leadership that did not uh, lean on the stick, but rather leaned on developing people to be their best Mm -hmm. selves in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even to the point where I would have to protect my team so someone would come along and say, here's a stick and I want you to hit your team with it, you know, uh, uh, you know, some kind of a behavior. And I would say, yes, sir, will do. And then I go to my team and go, if you hear anything about this, just ignore it. What we're going to do today is we're going to find our own way to succeed. And so wow. that that was the burden of otherness, because my peers were not thinking about that. My peers were like, bro, I'm an I'm a VP now. I'm going to do it my way. This is natural. Look at all these other guys that are doing it the same way. We're all validating each other all the time. And I had to go look for validation somewhere else. I'd be like, is this the right way to lead? I can remember asking a friend who was not in my industry. I was like, is there another way to lead that's less draconian and, you know, less traditionally uh, abusive? Um, And that's what Tony Robbins did for me. That's what many of the books that I read did for me. And I had to seek my validation with the people underneath me who worked for me to understand if that was the right way to do it or not. But the burden was too much. Yeah. Talk more, Kim, about that burden, because that burden of duality, of having to carry both to assimilate, but also to try to be defiant in a way. How did that burden surface itself in your your professional life, but also your personal life? I think I'm pretty you know, fun to be around. Um, I'm engaging. Uh, I would think uh, people would want to invite me to the whatever, fill in the blank, um, work club, business club. I was often not in that club. Mm. Nothing to do with me. I don't play golf. I learned how to play golf at one point and then just like, this is not worth it. Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather snowboard and mountain bike and do extreme sports. But um, I was like, I'm not married. I don't live in the East Bay. I don't have three kids. I I'm a female, not a male. And uh, I was left out of a lot. I could feel it, you know, even from the obvious of like hearing that things, you know, people got together, did fun things together, did work things together, created committees. uh, And I found out later to just that subtle otherness that came with every meeting. Um, If I showed strength, let me just like, let me just tell you what the tax is. And I think, you know, this Brie, here's the tax. If I show strength, what do they call me? Oh, you were a bitch. bitch. You were, yeah. yeah, you were hard. Yeah, yeah. Hard, hard. What if Kevin shows strength? What is Kevin? Bold. He's a boss. Bold, he's a boss. yeah, boss. Yeah. He's, boss. he's yeah. a boss. He's a boss. Why? Because he's decisive. If yeah. I'm decisive, I didn't listen. You know, mm. people hold me to the characteristics that they expect of a woman. And if I step outside those, I... Like I'm, I'm immediately criticized for it. Don't be too strong. Don't be too weak. Don't be too loud. Don't be too quiet. Don't be too feminine. Don't be too 
you know, masculine and hard. Like if I were overly feminine, they'd be like, yeah, does she have what it takes? If I'm overly too dainty, (laughs) yeah, too dainty. Oh, we're not sure she's going to speak up for herself. Um, If I uh, kept talking when I was over, when someone interrupted me, which is a habit I have picked up over the years that when someone starts to talk in the middle of my conversation, I keep talking until my whole paragraph is done and the other person gives up. Why? Because otherwise I don't get heard. But guess what? Who does that turn off? 30% of the people who want to do the talking for me. (laughs) Mm. So it is, it is a lot. It is a lot. Um, A man who used to work for me uh, came in. He's like, he eventually uh, shared with me his story. He's like, every time I walk into this room, I'm the only black person here. And he's like, not only do I carry otherness, but I also carry the expectations that everybody has of how I'm going to behave. And that resonated with me as well. People expect me to fail or succeed uh, in certain areas. Like they just automatically, they're like, she's not going to make it to upper levels of management. Everybody already has that point of view. Why does that matter? Because no one's reaching out. No one looked at me early on in leadership and said, there's high potential. We need to groom her. Like some of the guys were, I even heard them say like, you can't, you can't mentor a woman. You never know where that's going to go. I'm like, what? I'm like, you're literally not putting your hand out because I'm a woman. So it was because of some risk to them or because they were just like, you know, she won't stay in the workforce. That's a belief that people have. Um, Or, um, She's not going to make it anyway, because how many women are there at the executive levels? So like I didn't get the kind of coaching that people do get. I'll tell you, I'm an, I interview a lot of people in um, for roles on my team and I interview with other male leaders. And I can tell you when a guy walks in at, 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 for a job and he's tall and he has on a suit or at least like nice clothes and he looks sharp. The first thing people say about him is like, God, that guy has a lot of potential. He has real executive presence. Okay. Mm. No one ever said when the woman walks in and she is sharp as hell. She is on point with all the things, head to toe. Yeah. Smart, smart, put together. No one says executive presence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dumb. Why? Yeah. Because in their mindset, uh, we're other. They are execs and we are other mother. You know, mm-hmm. so it's expecta- the expectations of other people is the burden of being other as well. What they expect you to succeed at and what they expect you to fail at. And the first symptom of a validation of their beliefs becomes their belief. So, for example, like the, the whole stereotype of angry black woman. Right. That holds black women in a spot where they're not allowed to be angry. Right. Or defensive white woman. Like people say, like, are you you're being defensive? And I'm like, uh, am I not allowed to have, uh, am I allowed to defend myself? Are you asking, you're saying that that is the emotion I'm not allowed to have? Do men get to defend themselves? They do. Do women get to be angry? Of course. But like, mm-hmm. it's a very limiting thing to be other and, and know that they have an expectation of you to stay right square in the middle. It is a very limiting thing. I remember a time where I was with Kevin and with a a colleague and we were having a conversation with our CEO and VP of sales. And I got 
passionate because we were talking about a subject, you know, we're all in sales, the leads weren't coming in. And, you know, it just seemed like marketing wasn't quite aware of what was going on. And three white men, and I'm the only black woman on the team, I'm the only person that gets an email and that gets a call. Hey, do you think you were a little too much on that call? But, but did you send that email to Kevin? Did you send that email to my other colleague? No. Why did you send that email to me? <laughs> Why did you pull me to the side? Um, and so, yeah, that the implication of being other and the burden, uh, it, it's, it's a heavy toll. And so, Kim, I'm wondering for those who aren't other, what could they do? Do you have any solution, any advice to people who don't have the experience that we have to say, you know what, this is how you help the situation? Yeah, I uh, I don't know what the magic formula is, but I think it starts with listening. We have to first of all, you have to examine your own bias. That's a tough process. Um, it can take. Uh, it's a it's a tough process. It takes a while, but I think the most the most powerful place to learn is to listen. Mm -hmm. So an immediate invalidation of someone's point of view is an, is a um, clear indication you have a bias. Okay. Say that again. I don't think people were listening. Say that again. All right. I'm gonna get closer to the microphone. Mm. An immediate invalidation of another person's point of view. So that impulse that you get to go, she's wrong. She's too angry. She's too bossy. She's on the wrong track. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, that can't be true. Like that's that's that is your that's your signal when you say that can't be true that you're not listening, and that you have a bias. Okay, so your bias immediately when someone speaks. So just someone says the truth, like this lead router isn't fair, or I feel marginalized. So that's the whole like it can be like a little thing to a big thing. Your first reaction, if your first reaction is resistance, you have a bias. And the way to understand that bias is to stop. You can feel it. Like we all have backgrounds. We're all learning. You have to stop and say, what is your experience? Tell me more. Let me hear it. And then you might tell me, when you say this, I feel that. And I have, to, I have to chew on that for a minute. I have to allow that to be digested, consumed, and try to have some understanding about that. I might not get it, but that is how you start to chip away at your biases. Does that make sense? It does. But what it what you're saying requires a lot of intention. To, to listen requires a lot of intention. I'm not sure people are in the state to be able to listen, not because they can't handle it. I'd actually argue that it's because they are not attuned to their own self. You are right. It takes self-awareness, patience, restraint, humility, courage, humility, especially because you have to know that you're going to be wrong, that you've done wrong things. None of us are without blame. All of us have hurt someone in some way, consciously or unconsciously. So it's arrogant to think we haven't, we're not still doing it in some way. So you're right. I don't know how to drive self-awareness in people who are not already wanting to change. I don't know how to make people change. I just, my, the way I look at social change, 
is un, we have to drive awareness and power in the people that have the capacity to do it. And then we just have to force the, the framework on everybody else. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Kim, that's so good. That's so good. I'm wondering for our listeners, maybe, you know, we have a lot of people who are new into their corporate world and they don't have the 10 plus years experience in their certain role. So maybe you can give us some tips, some advice on how do you power back up when you get in those conversations where the person isn't listening? How do you help yourself make it through? Uh, How do you keep your superpower intact to know that you are special and just because they can't accept that doesn't negate your specialness. So keep going. Yeah. Um, keeping your superpower intact is it's a delicate balance. I have been blocked for a promotion by someone who was my boss, who didn't, we did not get along. He did not like my style. Let's just put it that way. And <laughs> the only way I was able to get past him for the promotion which almost sidelined me because his feedback about me was I was unmanageable. It's trash. It's trash. I'm unmanageable. And, you know, actually in some ways for him, I was unmanageable because I, I was unwilling to do to squash myself for him. Anyway, I would tell people like go build networks so that you don't get sidetracked so that I could give a lot of career advice all day long. And you can hear more of it if you're interested. Um, also, But then there's the advice of maintaining your belief in your own superpower. OK, no one can kill your superpowers, but they can kill that you believe they exist. Right. So you might start to think that thing, you know, in your heart is what makes you special and amazing and different. Um, you know, I've never met anybody like you, Brie, like you are, you are so you're just Brie and that's your superpower. But a world when you're where the other, you're like, is that, is that a good thing? That's the part you can't question. And so that comes from, that comes from building a community of people who recognize you for your superpower and not for what you present to the world. So if you just have, go ahead. I feel like you're going to say can you, something. No, can you just say that again? That touched my soul, Kim. That touched my soul. Yes, girl. Yes. Say that again. That's really good. You have to build a community of people who love you, appreciate you, respect you, want to know you for you, for what your superpower is. And so versus just a community of people who appreciate that you've assimilated to their way of being or the broader culture or the thing that culture currently thinks is great. Like think about our culture. We change all the time what's what's good and bad and that will kill your soul. So you need to build a community of people and maybe that's outside of work um, because sometimes work is work is work. You know, finding that advocate who thinks you're amazing at work is sometimes hard. So you, in order to maintain your own belief in your own superpower, you need to make sure you got people who love you for it. And then revisit that, go back to that. Well, go back to that. Well, and like, you know, like you love me because I am, I'm filling the blank, right? Honest, loving, caring, strong, um, real, authentic, 
Um, and then where you have to play the game at work a little bit to manage in certain environments, it won't kill, it won't kill your soul. And if it gets to the point, let, let's just say this, if it gets to the point where it's killing your soul, we're not saying stick it out. We are saying take, take that opportunity to find somewhere else. <laughs> let's just say that. Okay. I want to talk about that for a minute. Choice is so important. And that you only got one life as far as we know. Um, you're probably going to ask me what it means to be human. I don't know if we get to do this thing, this experience one time or 500 times or a thousand times. I don't know. Um, but uh, your life is short and you want to be happy. The best possible ideal scenario is you find a work environment that reflects who you are, that allows you to reflect 90% of who you are, uh, where you feel like you're valued, trusted, and you can grow into your own big shoes. When I started work, the choices for that kind of environment were, honestly, I don't remember ever seeing anything like it. I'm sorry, I didn't. I grew up in North Carolina. I, only, I just, I feel like my choices were really limited. But you know what I love about today is that there are more conscious companies who understand that diversity is important, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it makes us stronger and better and smarter as companies. And there are companies that, that lean into that concept, find it or go work for somebody else. Listen, I had to learn this lesson. I learned this lesson in the last three years that it just ain't worth it working for a toxic person. It just isn't worth it. It it doesn't matter. There's no bill I need to pay that is important enough for me to work for a toxic human that does not, that only wants me to be different than I am, does not actually like anything about what makes me special. It's just not worth it. Drop the mic. Powerful stuff. Wrap it up. Powerful stuff. It's not worth it. Ooh, it's not worth it. Well, Kim, we'll wrap it up here. I think you're expecting this. You already mentioned earlier, but what does it mean for you to be human? I think this is such a hard question. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's short circuited my brain for the last week. What makes us human transcends our physical. And I think that's because that's the place on my journey I am right now. I've spent uh, a lot of time developing my own my own self-awareness. And in the last five, six years, I've spent a lot of time trying to understand why are we here? What's bigger than this experience? What's beyond this experience? How do I contribute to that? Not just, not just my own uh, hierarchy of needs. Um, I need a house and money and, you know, friends and, you know, that list of of things. I actually want, for me, being human means how do I connect to something bigger than that? Awesome. Well, Kim, Kim Ambry, this is honestly enlightening for me. I I try to embody what you're talking about and, and sit and listen and not have any other tabs open and not focus on anything else but this conversation. Because I think that's the key. And yeah, I suppose, Kim, for other people listening, you know, where, where can people find you? I am now, I found a home at Shopify. So I'm easy to find on LinkedIn under Kimberly Seabrook. Just Google me, reach out, connect to me on LinkedIn. And uh, I'm happy to talk to anybody that'd like to, to talk more. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap, Bree. 
Kim, thanks so much. And for all those listening, if you like what you hear, please remember to like, subscribe, and share with somebody who will benefit from this conversation. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Bree.